If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 7. We're going to be right there at the end of Matthew chapter 7. And so I asked you to, to tell about some young people in your life. So I have uh, quite a few young people in my life. I was trying to think of like how I could have some integrity and at least answer the question for you. So I just want to tell you about one of them real quick. So uh, my youngest son, Connor, uh, a lot of things I love about Connor. I love his hair. I'm jealous of it. And, uh, and I love his creativity and his sense of humor. And so uh, this last week, we had our first week of school. And co- so we did the classic, like, first day of school picture. And, and so th- this just tells you a little bit about Connor. So this is him. Uh, I don't know if you can read what he wrote. And so I made it a little bigger. So this is what he said. First day of 2022, he's an eighth grader. He says, when I grow up, I want to be financially stable. Like a lot of people pick a career, he's like financially stable, which to me, the dad in me, I loved that. I have, uh, I'm excited about the vision. I have questions for him uh, about how that might happen. And so for you guys that know him, you can just keep asking him about, that's a great vision, but again, where are we going with that? This is good. But that's my son, Connor, and I love Connor, and I love the young people that God has put in my life. And so uh, you're in Matthew chapter 7, or if you don't, have your Bible in front of you. Your notes has it a little bit down. Uh, We're going to ask Gabe, one of our high school students, and he's going to come up and he's just going to read this short passage for us as we get going this morning. And so Gabe, how are you? Good to see you. Good. Good. Yeah. So you can follow along in your Bible or in your notes. Go ahead and read that for us. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you. We're just going to set this up here. So um, when I was in, I think it was second grade, maybe third grade, uh, the school that I was a part of, they had what's called the spelling bee. It was like an all-school spelling competition. They did this in the 80s in elementary school. And so uh, how it went, at least in my school, is we had a competition first in our classroom, and then like the top, I don't know, five people from each classroom went to like this all-school, everybody gathered, and we were up in front of the whole school spelling words. And so I don't know how this happened. I don't remember all of it, but I somehow uh, was good enough in my classroom that I made it to the finals or whatever, the big thing in front of the whole school. And so in the classroom, somehow it was easy, but I just, I remember we came in for this big assembly and those of us who were in the, you know, the competition still, we were up on stage sitting in these chairs and then there was all these classrooms out there and everybody was staring at us. And, and how it worked, they had an overhead projector in the middle. You remember those old kind of, not this kind, but the old kind of overhead projector where you could write on the clear th- piece of paper thing and then it would show and so uh, they would call you up one by one and they would give you a word and you would say the word and then you would write it down and spell it so everybody got to see your writing uh, which mine was not great and and then uh, if you got it right you went on if you didn't you were out and so uh, you know one person after another came and I was just 
I was just getting nervous. I just, I, I can remember that. I can remember, you know, it's hard to breathe and your heart is beating. And then especially when I got called up front, I, I just remember my heart was beating so heavily. You could just like feel it in your throat. And, and so I, I don't remember all the details, but I remember my word was clown. And when I heard the word clown, my first thought was, I know how to spell the word clown. That's awesome. And so then I went to pick up the pen and start writing and I blinked. I just, I don't know if you had an experience like that, but I totally blinked. I don't know how I spelt it. I think I remember putting an E at the end of clown. I don't know why I did that, but I got it totally wrong. And, and so first word, I was out. And when you got it wrong, you had to make that long walk off the stage. And, and then you sat down and I just remember sitting down and I just, I, all of a sudden, you know, I knew how to spell it. And I just felt so stupid. Like this was my opportunity and I just blew it and I blew it in front of the whole school. And I remember that because that was one of the first uh, of many times in my life where I felt like a failure. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Nod your head if you've ever, you know, felt like a failure. Growing up, there's just many, many times where we face that, and we have to remember that as we talk about young people, because to be a young person, again, is to um, either live often in the place of failure, this was my opportunity and I blew it, or to live like you're on the verge of it. Just one wrong answer, one mistaken choice, one thing that you say in the wrong way, and pretty soon you're in that place that you spelled clown wrong in front of the school. You feel like a failure. And, it, and it's not just, again, when you're starting out, when you're second, third grade, or middle school, or high school. I find some of those feelings, they intensify the older you get. And so as a youth pastor, I spend a lot of time with middle school and high school students, but I also spend a lot of time time with 20-something uh, adults. A lot of them help me out in youth group, or I just get to know them over the years, and I stay in contact. And one of the things that I've found through talking to 20-somethings, that, that one of the most common conversations I have with 20-somethings is conversations about failure. They just sit down, and they'll just say, you know, Matthias, I just I feel like I'm failing at life. They, they never quite say it just like that, but they'll say things like, you know, Matthias, I was in a wedding last weekend. It was the sixth wedding I've been in. All of my friends are married now, and I don't even, I don't even know somebody that I want to date. <laughs> and I just feel like, oh, you know. Or people my age, Matthias, they have careers. They, they have real jobs, and you know my job. It's not, it, it's, it's just a job. Or Matthias, people my age, they're buying houses. They're doing these grown-up things. I still, I live with my parents. And this is, this is how I feel. Just, I feel like in life, everybody else is passing me by, and I'm just failing. And it's interesting, when, when people tell me that, most of the people that tell me those things are people that, that I know them enough to recognize that that isn't true. I know them enough to recognize that there's some amazing things about them. In fact, some of the people that tell me those things are people that all of you recognize as amazing. See, again, as the youth pastor, people come up to me and you tell me about people. And so you'll come up to me and you'll tell me about a 20-something. And you'll say, I just gotta tell you about so-and-so. He's been spending time 
time with my kid and it's changing their life. I just, I'm amazed by that guy. He's so uh, just like in touch with what he's doing for the Lord. And then that same guy I'll meet a couple days later and I'm excited to tell him about what you told me about how amazing they are. And the conversation goes really quick, Matthias, I'm failing. Like amazing people who, who, who are created for significant things, who are living for significant things in their lives, this is how they feel often as a 20-something. And so again, the youth pastor and me, you have that conversation and then you step back and, and, and I always have to ask myself, like, why? Why does that happen? Like, like, that's an important thing for you to ask yourself, too. Again, you, we're, we're thinking about the young people in our lives. And again, maybe the young people in your life, they're not 20-somethings. Uh, maybe they're elementary-age kids. But, but here's what I want to tell you. Elementary-age kids grow up. Did you figure that out? Like just a week ago, we dropped my daughter Anne off for her freshman year of college. Uh, yeah, see, I love sharing that around here because everyone around here, when I say that, you guys always say, no way, freshman in college? Like, I remember when she was born or, or I babysat her. or She's like 12 and the answer is no, she's 18. She's at college. She's amazing. They, they grow up. And so what you, you have to be careful about is you have to realize at least in Clark County, at least a lot of the people that I interact with, as you grow up and you enter kind of beyond high school, it is, it is something you will battle. This idea of failure. Everybody else feels like they're passing me by and I feel like in some way I'm losing at life. And so you have to ask the question of why is that? So we don't have enough time to, to, to theorize about all of that. I'll, I'll just give you a couple thoughts that, that I have. I, I think one of the reasons why we feel this way is that comparison is just so destructive in our lives. I don't care what age you are, 5, 10, 50. If we spend most of our time finding our value and how we compare to other people, it is, it's going to destroy the heart. Like So don't don't do that. Don't, don't spend your time like scrolling through social media because what you'll find on social media is everybody's better looking than you. Do you notice that? Everybody's better looking than you. They have better friends than you and they're doing more exciting things than you. You're seeing everybody in the best moments of their life and if you scroll enough, you just feel like everybody's having best moments and then you look at yourself, maybe sitting on the couch after a really hard day and you get in quickly, you feel like, I guess I'm failing compared to everybody else. Comparison, it destroys us in a lot of ways if we compare ourselves to the wrong things. Or, or maybe, maybe even a bigger reason than comparison. I just think it's easy to define winning and losing in life incorrectly. Like even, even as a follower of Jesus, it is just really easy to, to get that wrong, to, to kind of have the wrong perspective about what does it mean to grow up and, and win in life. Or, or I would just say to just cling to the perspective that our culture has, kind of the American dream of what it means to grow up and win in life. Because what you hear over and over, if you just pay attention to culture at all, this is what you hear. To win at life is to grow up, and when you graduate college or when you graduate high school, you know what you're going to do next, right? 
You, you, you have to know your career. And, and so you're going to go to a college, and not just, not just a lame college, like a college that you're proud to tell about, a college that is, you know, a big-name college. And then you're going to go, and you're going to get through that school, and then you're going to get a job, but not just any job. Again, a job that you're proud about, that you love to tell other people what you do, um, a, a job that every day you're passionate about the work you do. Isn't that the dream? Isn't that the message? You have to find something that you're passionate about every day that you go to work. And, and, and then, but don't work too much though, because you also, you have to have adventure. So get a paddleboard, right? Travel, take lots of pictures, post them places, and then find somebody that wants to adventure with you and, and then marry them and have a lot of adventures. And then after a while, have kids, two of them, a boy and a girl. It's gotta be both, right? And so a boy and a girl and have the house and, and have the car and do all of that while you look amazing. While you are always in shape, you're always eating right, you're always totally taking care of yourself, and you're reading important books, and you're listening to the right podcasts so you can talk with people about them at work. Are you exhausted yet, right? And, and then you follow Jesus, so read your Bible, and, and serve in the church and do all those things. If we do all those things, then we are winning. If we fail at even one of them, maybe we're missing out in life. It's so easy to go there that this is winning. And it's so hard sometimes to pause and say, but yeah, is that, is that how Jesus views it? Like our, our creator, our God, we call him Lord. And so whatever he says, that's what we want to dictate our lives. Uh, do, we, do we really ask Jesus, is that the picture of winning that he gives? Well, well Jesus, he, he gives some different pictures throughout scripture uh, of what it means to win and lose in life. But for me, I keep... I keep coming back to this picture at the end of Matthew 7 that Gabe read for us a little bit ago. I want to read it again. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But then he goes on, he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and the great was the fall of it. And so Jesus, as, as he's seeing people, he's really seeing two people. And, and what's interesting to me about the picture that he gives here, first of all, two people that build a house. And Jesus, he doesn't say anything about who has the better looking house, does he? Like who has the nicer one before the wind and the rain and, and you know, the storm? Who, who has the better one? I have my theories about who has the better one. But Jesus, he, he doesn't say anything about that. That's, that's not important. The other thing that is interesting about this picture is that Jesus assumes that rain and wind and a storm, it's coming for everyone. That it doesn't matter how smart you are and how well 
calculated you are in life and how much you check all the boxes or whatever, that there's a reality that trials and testing, they come, they come into life and they, they reveal uh, what you really trust in. They shake you down to the core of life. Jesus understands it's coming for either person. Um, the only difference is that when those things come, uh, one person stands through that and, and, and maybe we would say wins out in life and the other, it crumbles. And this happens too. So the, the structural engineer in me, when I read this passage, I think about some of the things that studied about in college. And, and, and you study about in college when you're thinking about structures is you can have a perfectly put together structure, but if the foundation isn't right, it can look good for a while, but then uh, it, it, it'll end up looking like this. I don't know if you see that, it's familiar. Right, the leaning tower, and so we love it now. We like to keep it leaning because it's a tourist attraction. What that is, it's an engineering failure. Uh, there's problems with the foundation and the soils underneath, or what's interesting is earthquakes often reveal uh, things about the foundation. And so uh, in the past, there's been some pretty major earthquakes like in Mexico City or in Taiwan. And, and, and these are places that are on sandy soil. And so what happens uh, with that soil is when there's an earthquake at all, it, it liquefies and buildings end up doing this. I don't know if you can see that very well out there, but here's a building that perfectly structurally, it's strong up top. It's totally intact. It just fell over. Like in the end, that's not a building that wins out. You can't use it for anything. You can't go in it. It's not safe anymore because it maybe had a lot of pieces right, but there was something core in the bottom that was, that was messed up, and that's Jesus' point. He's saying in the end, you'll, you'll be tested, and, and we'll really get to see who's going to win and, and who's going to lose in life. And what's different, Jesus says, about who wins and loses is not just who hears what Jesus is saying. That's another important thing. Both of them hear what Jesus is saying. The difference is not everybody responds to it. Not everybody does anything with it. Not everybody takes what Jesus is saying and showing us about life and following him and, and uses that to, to, to shape their own perspective, to respond, to trust in, to follow. So, you know, when I read the Bible, uh, I like to not just read, but I like to meditate on the scriptures. We're told to do that. And so for me, what helps me do that is a couple questions. And so I get to this spot in the text and there's a couple questions that, that, that come up in my mind. The first question is this, is what are Jesus's words then? Like, like what is he talking about here when he says people who, who, who hear my words, what words? What are the things that he was teaching? And then the second one is, how does a person put them into practice? What does that actually look like for that to shape your perspective and respond to them? And can I, can I help younger people do that in any way? And so here's, here's what we don't have time for this morning. We don't have time to uh, answer both of these questions fully. We just don't, but, but what we do want to do is I want to spend a little bit of time talking about question number one. Like, what are Jesus's words? What are the things that he was saying 
that, that we need to, to let shape our perspective that, that helps us kind of respond to and means we win or lose. And so what's great is Matthew, he's already given them to us. Because this picture, this is right at the end of a section of scripture that we often call the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so the Sermon on the Mount, it actually starts uh, really back at the end of, of chapter four. And, and this is what Matthew writes. He says, he, he that's Jesus, he's talking about Jesus. He, he went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction from among the people. So his fame spread throughout and he goes on to talk about all the people that were, were coming to see him. So Jesus at this time, his ministry is becoming very public. He's been baptized. He, he, he was tempted in the wilderness. Matthew talks a lot about that. Now he's called some disciples to himself and he's set up in Capernaum and he's teaching people. And, and, and what he's teaching about is he's teaching about the gospel of the kingdom. So, so the Old Testament scriptures up to this point, they're, they're pointing ahead. Like one of the things that the Old Testament highlights for, for God's people is the need for a coming savior and king. Like they're very clear about that, that, that God one day is sending a savior and sending a king, someone who will do what nobody else could do, someone who will make things right. And when the savior comes, he will establish his kingdom forever. And this is good news for God's people. And Jesus, he's talking about this kingdom. And he's declaring in a lot of ways that, that this kingdom has come and it's found in relationship with him, that he is that coming savior and king. But, but what does he say about the kingdom? Well, well, Matthew goes on. He says, well, seeing a crowd then, he went up on the mountain where he sat down and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught him. Now we're getting to Jesus' words. And if you have one of those Bibles where they have Jesus' words in red, you'll notice chapter five and chapter six and chapter seven, they're, they're just all Jesus' words. And we don't know if it's just one sermon that Matthew just sat down and, and kind of recorded that for us. More than likely, it's probably many different things that Jesus was talking about at the time and, and, and Matthew puts them together for us. And what we don't have time to do today is read through every verse one by one, but you should. Because what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell you a couple things that I notice about Jesus' teaching here in this text. And, and you should go home and check me on that. You should just read it for yourself and, and see what he's teaching. But Jesus, he's, he's talking a lot about the, the coming kingdom. And, and one thing that he says about this kingdom is that in God's kingdom, um, unexpected people win. In other words, people that a lot of times in the world we look at and we think, man, life is hard for them. Life is miserable for them. It's not, they're not really making it the way some of the rest of us are. Jesus would say, I don't know, sometimes they get more than other people. I mean, he starts just at the few, first few verses at the beginning of Matthew 5, and he starts to mention some people that are blessed. Or you could, you know, kind of cross out blessed and you could write uh, winning. People that in the end, uh, they end up kind of winning in some ways in life. And when we think about, again, people who end up winning in life, they're people that do amazing things, right? 
Like everybody notices some awesome thing that they do and you're like, that's a great person. I want to be like them. Or they have lots of friends or they're successful at something. Again, that's what we think of, but Jesus' list there, like he doesn't, he doesn't list some of those things. Instead, he talks about people that, like people who mourn. Like the, you, you walk through loss. Uh, people who are meek or merciful. When I think about people that get left behind, oftentimes it's meek people like in a worldly way, or people who are merciful, sometimes they get walked over. People take advantage of them. And then he goes on, like people that are persecuted for righteousness sake, they're living rightly, but people are beating them down and pressuring their lives. Or, or, or when others utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, so people are spreading lies about you and attacking you just because you're following Jesus. And yet Jesus was saying, he's saying in some ways there's something about about the heart process that happens here that that, that oftentimes people in these situations in his kingdom are getting something that others don't. Like there's a posture there before the Lord that, that maybe sets you up to be in a better place in life. Like Jesus, as he goes through, he, he, he just challenges what we often see as winning. And he, he, he reminds us that sometimes people, uh, people that others think they're missing the point, again, they're the ones who get it. And this happens a lot. In fact, I, I think that's what Jesus is talking about here towards the end of this section in Matthew 7, where he gives us this other picture. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. In other words, there's a lot of people that go a route in life and they think they're winning. They think I'm nailing it. Like that's why they go that route. Because it seems like the best route for life. But then he says, but gate, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are often few. So we got to be careful about how we judge ourselves and people around us in terms of winning. Again, some people that the world would say they took the wrong path. Sometimes they're in the best spot in life. Like when I think about this, I can think of a lot of people in my life. But this week, I just... I keep thinking a lot about my dad. And I I know like some of you remember my dad. A lot of you don't, but I'll just tell you just a little short story about my dad, a little bit about him. So uh, he grew up and when he graduated high school, he was one of the best and brightest in his town. He graduated fourth in his class, so he was smart. And he was the best, uh, like one of their best baseball pitchers. And so there was some prospect there. Uh, When he graduated high school, he got a job in Estacada where he grew up uh, working at a lumber mill. And a couple months later, he married uh, his high school sweetheart, my mom. And about a year after that, they had their first child, my oldest sister, Sarah. And so when you're married and you have a kid, it keeps you at the lumber mill. And so he did that, like growing up all my life, my dad uh, just worked at a lumber mill. That's what he did. He went, I don't think it was always fun. Uh, It wasn't glamorous, uh, but he did it and he did it and he loved his family and he served in his church. That's what I remember probably the most about my dad is that he, in a lot of ways, sacrificially, like sometimes I was bothered 
by the way that he rearranged his life uh, for serving other people for the Lord's sake. Um, It's interesting to me, like I've thought a lot about, I wonder what it was like at his 25th high school reunion. I wonder how many of his teachers just thought that he just wasted his life. Like here's somebody with all this potential and, and he just wasted his life. He just worked at a lumber mill his whole life. What's interesting though is like people that knew him still, like he passed away 18 years ago. I still run into people who tell me that God transformed their life through him. Like just a couple years ago, I was speaking at a men's retreat for the church that I grew up in. And there was a guy there that I remember as a kid, his name was Ernie. And Ernie came up and he had a picture of my dad baptizing him. I didn't know that my dad had baptized Ernie. And he he said, yeah, you know, your dad baptized me. He said, actually what happened is I got a job working at the lumber mill. And and he said, you know, uh, when I started work, there were some people that came up to me and he pointed out your dad and he said, be careful of that guy, he'll talk to you about Jesus. And Ernie said, you know what? He did. I worked next to him. He talked to me about Jesus. I met Jesus. Jesus transformed my life. 40 years later, this guy would say, I'm living a completely different life. Because of Jesus, my dad was at the mill. See, we got to just be careful because in God's kingdom, again, sometimes there's unexpected winners and God he he cares way more uh, about what we do on the inside and the motives of our heart than than all the things that we do on the outside that's another thing that Jesus really highlights here in this section is that the heart it is what matters most so Jesus he goes on to, to teach about some things that are really famous like he talks about some of the Old Testament laws about things you should and shouldn't do but but he does something interesting with these laws this is this is what he does for example with murder he says you've heard it said uh, from those of old that you shall not murder for whoever murders will be liable to judgment but he says but but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire do you see what Jesus is saying he's saying you know you say don't murder anybody and that is a great thing to strive for but but he would say there's something deeper here Like, what about insults? What about anger? What about mocking people? That's starting you somewhere. Like, the heart is more important. Or he he goes on, he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery again. You shouldn't do that. But I say that anyone who who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in her heart. He just goes on and on to do this with so many things that, that we worry about outward things, which are great. But what God's more concerned about is here. If we get this right in here, the heart, then again, some of those outward things, they happen too. And God cares about not just what you do, but the motives of what you do. Jesus goes on to talk about good things that we do on the outside. And he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Have you ever wanted to do that? I just want to do this thing because people think I'm a good person. We, we never say it clearly like that, but, but oftentimes that, that can be what's driving us. He, he says, for, for they will have the, no reward from the Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, 
Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. And he goes on to talk about prayer like that and fasting like that. Um, He's more concerned not that you do it, but that the motives are, are right here. See, with the young people in our lives, we, we focus so much on what, they, what happens outwardly. And again, that's not the worst thing in the world, but as we're teaching about the outward things, we, we gotta be like Jesus and keep pushing on the heart. But why are you doing that? What, what motivates? What's underneath that? See, Jesus at the end of this, uh, this section, he, he gives, again, a, a picture that I think is, is challenging for so many of us. He, he, he gives this picture. He says, not everyone who, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And and, and I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, Jesus, at least from his point of view, he's recognizing that there's going to be some people that everybody else says, man, they did amazing things, even for God. But, But in the end, underneath, they missed something, something major. People that are winning, like the heart is right first and foremost, and the heart, it gives itself really to only one thing. Like Jesus, as he goes on, one of the things that he wants us to understand is that the way we are wired, we're wired to trust in and give ourselves fully to one master. That's it. And that, that bothers us in our culture. Because in our culture, we like to have, we, we like to do a lot of things and, and we like to compartmentalize our lives. We like to have different masters at different times. So when I'm at work, all in. And, and it's just about work. And, and, and when I have my hobbies, it's just about that or, or here. And, and, and we like to, to teach our, our young people to compartmentalize their lives too. I think they, they're prone to that more than we are. This is where I have school. These are my friends. And, and, and this, is, this is my hobby. And, and here's Jesus. Jesus comes around. And when I'm at church, then he's my Lord. But, but anywhere else, there's something else that's a master there. Or, or really, Jesus would say, actually, you have to step back and you have to say, in the end, all of us, there's only one thing driving our life in all those other things. What is that? See, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks a lot about money. There's a big deal in that day. And, and at the end of his discussion of money, he says this. He says, hey, you got to realize how I've wired you. No one can serve two masters. Either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one or despise the other. You can't serve both God and money or both God and, and your reputation or, or both God and, and the only thing that matters is that I get married. Or you could just, again, you could just add that on. That all of us, if we take a step back, we gotta be honest that, that really there's one thing that drives all the decisions in our life. And, and Jesus is saying you can only have one and, and, and it should be the Lord. We, we gotta get that 
Right. And, and, and when we give ourselves fully to the Lord, trusting him in all things, I think this is one of the hardest things to teach the young people in our lives because I, I think when they hear that, then they start to hear that means school's bad or, or, or that I play sports are bad or whatever. And that's not what it means to have a master, one master in all things. It just means when I go to school, who's Lord there? Jesus. What does it look like to have Jesus, the Lord of when I play a sport or when I'm in a club or when I have a job or when I have friends or when I date somebody or whatever? That's the message that the scriptures are teaching. How do we teach that and show that? Because, because the message, the encouragement in that is when we get that right, there's so much peace in our lives. Like that's what Jesus goes on to say, that when we give ourselves to the right thing, to, to God and God alone in all parts of life, there's no need to worry. So Matthew 6, the second half of that chapter is beautiful if you're a worried person. Because Jesus goes on and on to say, hey, don't worry, don't be anxious. He says, look at the birds and look at the lilies and God takes care of them. They don't worry at all. And you're more important than him, than those things. You're more important than the lilies. You're more important than the birds. And that's, that's true. But he ends that section with this. And in verse 33, he says, but, but, but then here's the conclusion. So seek first the kingdom of God care about those things and his righteousness and then all these other things will be added to you as well those other things are your basic needs in life you only have one master but if you get that right there is so much peace so when I'm sitting down you know Starbucks with a 20 something and they're telling me Matthias I I feel like I'm failing in life. Usually that conversation, we take a step back and, and we talk about, well, what are you giving yourself fully to? Oh, look at oh, the Lord in, in so many ways. And, and, and let's talk about the heart. Let's talk about how you're growing, how God's shaping the inner parts of your life. And, and, and don't forget that in God's kingdom, some of the people that the world would say are failing end up winning. There's unexpected winners. So you're not a failure. In fact, whenever we give ourselves fully to these things, again, we are not wasting our time. And when you think about the young people in your life, to be a part of that is to send that message often over and over and over. What are the things that Jesus wanted them to hear? These things. It's got to shape their perspective. And it's between them and the Lord to play that out and do it. And there are some ways that we can help and, and we don't have near the time to talk about those things this morning. If you wanna talk about some things that help with the young people in your life, I would love that conversation. Give me a call. I'll go to Starbucks with you or wherever you like to go and we'll talk through those things. I love to do that. But, but again, this morning where I just want us to pause for a moment is, is just to ask us about kind of our own pictures of winning. Like, let's just start there. Let's just kind of stay with that. H have I kept my eyes on the right picture of winning just for your own life? Are you battling maybe this tension of failure? Can we go back again to Jesus's picture of winning? Am I hearing what he's saying and let that shape 
how I live my life? And the second question maybe is, is that the same picture that I'm keeping in front of the young people around me? Like in all the conversations about business and plans and what they care about, am I in some way shaping that picture to be Jesus's picture of winning and losing? Or is there something else there? Again, this is a lot for us to think about, and there's more in the conversation. What I just want to do as we finish up, I want to tell you our youth ministry, uh, we're trying to work with you in this as you work with the young people in your life. And so what we're going to do this morning as we finish up, I'm just going to pray for us, and, and then we're going to be dismissed, and, and you can go throughout your, your way. But as I pray, a couple of our youth staff are going to come up here, some of our volunteers, and they care about young people too. And if it would be helpful for you to just have somebody else pray for a young person in your life, our youth staff, myself, we'd love to do that on your way out. You can just come up, you can find whoever's sitting on the stage. We'd love to hear you share about the people in your life, and we'd love to pray for you. We don't have all the answers, but we do want to get this picture of winning and losing right. Can we pray about that? Lord, thank you for, for everyone in this room, and um, thank you for your word, and um, that, that there's things for us to hear in it. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that in our hearing this morning that those things were clear. At the same time, Lord, we, we know what you say. We know that picture you give us. It's not just hearing, but it's, it's letting it shape our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that, that for all of us, as we walk through our week, as we go about the things in our lives, as we think about young people, help us to continually send a clear picture of these things that really matter, the heart, and that we're giving ourselves to Christ first and only. Lord, again, I thank you for the young people you've put in this church. I thank you for the ways that you're using them in the lives of others. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would grow them up. And as they follow you, I pray that, that they would never be uh, bombarded by a wrong view of winning. But that they would keep this picture in their minds. We love you, Lord, and we, uh, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.